Is this the dagger? Illegal substitution, too many men on the field, Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block and the sideline. He has not stepped out, he may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up. What a move, shoots, scores! Hey, calm down, everybody. Welcome to The Outsiders, which is powered by the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. This is podcast number 69. And joining us, as always, is Robin Brownlee. And also joining us today from the Flames broadcast crew on the radio at Sportsnet 960, the fan in Calgary, is Peter Labardius. Gentlemen, welcome and hello. And hello to you. Both of you, it's always a pleasure to see you, regardless of subject, time of year, or situation. <laughs> You're looking well, very relaxed. Uh, yeah, likewise. Likewise, kind of. Was that, was that optically correct, by the way? Yes, just, it was. Just, just checking. You covered all your bases there, and I know that you're... Uh, and, and Thank you. We know that you're on very little sleep. We'll get to that coming up in a couple of minutes. But uh, let's talk about the NHL draft. I'm guessing you watched... Every second of it, Peter. I did. I did indeed. And, um, you know, I don't know if the word fascinated comes to mind, but it was a draft that, you know, I wouldn't say was necessarily one of the deepest or most star-filled that we've seen in the last number of years. But some of the things that occurred in a year that, Let's be honest, the most interesting thing, and I talk to a number of scouts, you know, every year on our radio station, we have a blast. Sammy Cosentino, I thought, was unbelievable on the desk again this weekend, both Friday and Saturday. Um, You know, we all, in our conversations with scouts, heard, well, this, not that it's a crapshoot, but it's so unusual. Players haven't played like normal. They haven't had the same kind of in-person viewings. And I think, um, you know, some of the results in the first round in particular really spoke to that. Well, I mean, even in the best years, uh, Peter, you know this, you get beyond you know, sometimes it's the top two, the top three, the mm-hmm. top five. Things blend together. Um, even more so this year without those live viewings, no? No, absolutely. But but this one, this one, Robin, did in a sense go in this manner. One through basically 10 to 12, the guys that most people thought were in that wheelhouse ended up going what was more interesting to me is when they went and and a perfect example was you know mason mctavish had a wonderful world under 18 um you know i would have been shocked if he went outside of the top 10 but to see him go at three right there right then for me said oh boy well how's the order gonna go 
you know, I mean, every draft, and, and we've been around a million of them, they have tiers of players, and but I, I do think some of, you know, the uncertainty, um, the closeness in ability made, made the first round in particular as interesting and as fun for me personally as I've had for a while. Because I really felt like I had a really good feel on a lot of the kids that were taken despite not having a chance to have a lot of the viewings. So it was, it was, a, it was a pretty neat spectacle to see how it all unraveled. One of the things that bothers me a little bit about everything, and this is a social media hack as far as I'm concerned, is people feel they are judging these players who have been selected by the Calgary Flames or the Edmonton Oilers and saying, this is a disastrous oh. pick. And I'm thinking, yeah, it sure why is. don't we, it, you know what? It goes back to, and I've stated this numerous times where a, a former general manager of a hockey club in the NHL told me, I time trades and draft picks with a calendar, not a stopwatch, but just to see people hammering on these kids who are at this age and have got a long way to go before they develop. This is a five-year project for some teams. It's frustrating. Do you find that? Uh, I, I do. And and here's how I'd sum it up in a, in a relatively quick sentence for me. The people who are the most educated cannot be sure so how on earth do people who, in a lot of cases, haven't watched, haven't truly seen, haven't talked to the kids, you know, haven't done background checks? Listen, um, you know, to the credit of a lot of draft connoisseurs, you know, we all go, including myself, in preparation for the draft. I mean, there's, there's some absolutely wonderful scouting reports written but, Bryn, like you, you know, I, the minute Matthew Coronado was picked, um, you know, I, I saw a bunch of, well, he's another five foot ten small guy. You know, how good is he going to be? Really? Because uh, before tonight, would you have been able to pick him out in a police lineup? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, again, but, but isn't, isn't that the day and age we live in? Like, everybody, and listen, our, our business has become very much this way, and it's probably become this way, you know, in regards to the public feedback and, and all the response on social media. Everybody's trying to have the right opinion as fast as they possibly can. Do you guys see it the same way? Yeah, you know, uh, Peter, one story that sticks to mind for me, and it speaks exactly to what you're talking about. I remember asking a scout, what kind of player is Robert Nielsen going to be in the National Hockey League? And the scout said, well, he could be this way. I'm not sure. The Nobody says I'm not sure anymore. The scout was Kent Nielsen, his dad. If... If nobody, if his own father yeah. can't be sure, how can some want to be? How can some want to be expert on the internet? Be an expert or or you broadcaster for that matter? Right, any of us, be, because we don't know. I mean, I love, I love the projection piece. Uh, I love the draft. One of my favorite things about sports in general, and not just in hockey, but in other sports. Um, always been fascinated 
you know, by watching kids at a young age and watching the path and, you know, playing armchair scout or armchair GM to kind of see if you have a feel. So I love it as much as anybody, but I guess, you know, because of being around the game my whole life, and and I say this a lot, and you guys are in exactly the same boat, um, I feel like I've been going to hockey school my whole entire life and still have 73 million things to learn because that's not my job. And I did it one year. Um, You know, Brent Sutter was kind enough back in 2012 to say, you know, how do you like to help us in Red Deer for a year? And boy... If I I had a ton of respect for the scouting process prior to then, yeah, try it on for size yourself sometimes and see just how uh, easy it is. So you're qualified because I know you watch so intensely. What about the Flames and the Oilers' first round picks? Give us a bit of a breakdown on how you see both these kids. Well, in terms of Coronado, um, and did watch him three or four different times as a member of the Chicago Steel. Crafty, good hands, excellent hockey IQ. I love how he releases the puck. And the fact of the matter is, he, you know, it's in the USHL. But when you score 48 times, you know, in a pretty good league, and that's a pretty good league, you know what you're doing around the net. Yeah. And the other thing that impressed me, and it always, for me, is a big check mark is he led his team to a title and scored nine more goals in the playoffs, too, when it really mattered. And and he was such a difference maker in that league final against Fargo, leading them to the title. As far as Borgo is concerned, um, probably don't have quite as many viewings, but have watched him going back to when he was 15 years of age, Canada Winter Games, um, in Red Deer, and high-skilled, smart, sees the ice, um, good playmaker, can finish, puts himself in good positions, finds quiet areas, good skater. So, you know, that would be my evaluation of both of those guys. Peter, two for me. Uh, One of them might be difficult. Um, Going into the draft, I'd written that uh, I thought the Oilers might take a run at Sebastian Cosa if he was there. Uh, and a lot, and I, uh, to me, he was the best goalie uh, in the draft. Others disagreed and said Jesper Wallstad, uh, and make an argument for both. I found it interesting, though, that uh, when Cosa came off the board, uh, the Oilers, uh, if they were interested in a goaltender, decided to drop down, uh, take Borgo, and Wallstead, uh, they left him uh, left him there. What can you tell me about either of those guys? Do you know enough about uh, Wallstead to, to give us some info on him? Well, I would say in terms of my viewings going back to the under-18 and then again at the World Junior where he played in a couple of games, um, I liken him a little bit, like technically, to carry Price in the sense that he's calm. I love his demeanor. He's really, really technically sound. Now, Kosa, I've been watching since he was 15, had a chance even this year in person to watch him twice in Calgary against the Hitman. Um, obviously, has every tool you would want. Huge size, athletic. 
he he is he's a highly highly competitive guy um you know and the scouts i talked to robin there was there was a real split i'm i'm guessing in the oilers case just the way it played out and who knows i mean maybe they just listen even even in this draft, teams aren't always the most comfortable taking that position. Now, in our mock draft that we did, I had the Oilers taking Kosa in the number 20 spot. Uh, you know, I really thought that would work. He might fall into that. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, we'd, we'd just be guessing, and we probably couldn't get anybody to really tell us, certainly not on the record. I wonder if the Oilers make a different decision if Kos is still available when they had an opportunity to make the pick. Any melon scratchers for the Flames in that regard? This draft? Draft-wise? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so, Bryn. They went kind I, of I according think, to plan. You, yeah, and, and again, you know, going back to our first interesting topic today, it, this year you do the best work that you can. Um, pretty familiar with you know, of their eight picks, I've watched six, seven of those kids two or three different times. Again, this year, like I said earlier, I don't know if it was as deep for me as some other drafts have been, but but I, in their case, I like the fact that, you know, I think they need more potential top six forwards. I like the Stromgren pick, big size, 6'3", you know, now with Daryl Sutter. And again, let's face it, you know, that was one of the trends, and this always seems to happen. Coming out of this year's Stanley Cup playoffs, it's like, oh, we need a little more size, don't we, again? Like, oh, yeah. when it gets hard, we got to get it done when it's hard. And listen, I'm, I will always say this. If I can get a guy who's 6'3", who's as talented as the guy who's 5'9", I'm taking the guy who's 6'3". Sure. Yeah. I'm taking the guy who's 6'3". Peter, all these kids, all these teams, when it comes to the draft, we're talking about two, three, four, five years down the road. A shift gears a bit. This coming season with the Calgary Flames, the obvious difference, no Mark Giordano. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's gonna that's gonna call for some change on the ice and in the room. What's your read on the significance of him being gone? Well, you know, we've all had an opportunity to spend some time, watch him go about his business. Uh, I tweeted out the other day after it all came to fruition that you know going back to watching Mark as a 19-year-old break into the Ontario Hockey League in Owen Sound and then having the pleasure of watching, you know, not every single game he's played in those 15 years with the Flames, but a ton of them. Um, he's written, guys, for me, one of the great individual stories I've ever seen. In fact, I'm not sure I've seen many players get more out of what they have than he has. So, and he's a huge part of the community. He's just a classy, wonderful guy. Um, he's an impossible guy not to like. So it's going to be very different. It, it, it's, gonna, it's going to be very different. And, and I'll give you guys kind of the same answer I gave 
um, when I got called about it the day after the expansion draft was, I'm guessing that Mark has gone through every emotion you could ever imagine. And I truly believe, you know, what made him special in Calgary is there was nothing more important to him than to help the Calgary Flames do some really, really special things. It didn't happen. Um, I think Seattle is going to benefit greatly from having him. And I think, you know, he'll probably look back years down the road and go, is, is not, probably didn't feel great when it happened for a million kind of reasons. But maybe for both sides of the equation, it might work out well, even though, like I said, love the guy. I think his number will be raised to the rafters at some point in time. Um, I'd never say a bad word about him. But it'll be interesting to see how it plays out for both sides. In the Alberta capital, people look at Geo and they remember the Connor McDavid thing. They see him as the captain of the Calgary Flames. What they don't recognize is that the gaping hole in Calgary with him going to Seattle isn't just on the ice, it's off the ice and in the community. Let's talk a little bit about that because he was fantastic in that regard. Like, just fantastic. Awesome. 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 I, I don't I don't know if I could think of a player that I've been around for any length of time, and obviously him a long time, along with his wife, Lauren. Um, you know, all they did, not only publicly, but things that we don't even know about. Again, he, he, he became a huge part of Calgary, a huge part of the Flames, um, you know, that was a tough day for Flames fans. And, and players come and go. And like I said, I mean, you know, you, you can't stop father time. There are certain situations in sports where going in a different direction actually might pay some dividends. As hard as, hard as that can be. You know, did, did anybody in New England really want to see Tom Brady go? No, and I'm not saying that that's paid great dividends yet in New England, but my point is, at a certain point, things change, and if you're the Flames, a team that's kind of in transition, a team that has not accomplished what they've wanted to in the Giordano era in terms of playoff success, it's going to happen. And, and, you know... I don't know how you guys feel. It feels very similar to me to the Jerome situation. Nobody wanted it to happen. It was going to happen. Um, it's it's different. It's never going to be the same. But in life, like sports, things arrive at that point at some time or another. Yeah. Hey, uh, the uh, other thing I want to talk about before we move on to some other sports topics is the Montreal Canadiens' first-round selection in that draft. Bit of a shocker for a lot of people. Optically, horrible. And uh, the one thing that kind of caught my eye and ear after the selection was made by Montreal, and that's Logan Mayu, uh, was the commentary of a friend of ours, Sam Cosentino, who, to me, he, the other guys on the panel looked like they were a little stunned by it, but I think everybody was. But Sammy just basically went on the offensive there and had a comment. I, I, was, I felt like he had been 
almost rehearsing a little bit. What if this happens? How would I respond? Mm-hmm. I thought he was bang on on his breakdown. But your thoughts on that selection, the timing of it, and also how you felt, Sam, who is a friend of yours as well, how he handled that. Well, I thought, I'll start with the last part. I thought Sam handled it brilliantly. I thought he spoke from the heart. Um, you know, Sam and I are, he's one of my closest friends on planet Earth. Um, you, you, could, you could tell, you know, he has a, a daughter who on that day turns six. Um you know, I think it really hit him and really impacted him. And um, my guess is he didn't know it was coming, but even in, we talked about it a little before the show started, um, just as I've kind of gone over it as we've chatted, you know, it, it probably really resonated with him in terms of, I don't think this should happen. And when it did, I think that's why he was as strong and handled it as well as he did. And I'm, to be frank, I'm, I'm in the same camp. I, I, I am. Um, this are really, really difficult one. And, you know, I even saw the young man's response and, um, and here's what I'd have to say in closing about it, because I don't want to get too deep into it, but I feel horrific for the young lady involved. She needs to be supported. This is a really serious situation. And this young man needs to be accountable. And he needs to be supported. And I think used as an example. So these types of things are no longer talked about or happen because it's not acceptable. And yet, you know, I'm 55. I've made tons of mistakes. We all make mistakes. But the first part of it is there's certain things and certain lines you cannot cross. But let's learn from it and let's get better as a result. And it's not about him. It's about her. Absolutely. Bryn, the one thing I would add to that is this. When the young man uh, asked not to be taken in the draft, I think the NHL had to say, this young man will not be taken in the draft so that all parties involved have time to set their course and not, you know, If he's going to play, he's going to play. He's got more important things to worry about right now and to get straight in his life, as does the young woman. I thought the league dropped the ball. That's my take. Robin, well said. Well said. Probably shouldn't have been an option. Yeah, I I tend to agree. I think all three of us are on. on, There's a lot of work that's got to be done here behind the scenes. Okay, let's, uh, let's spin into a topic. How much sleep did you get last night? Um, self-admittedly, not very much. Why? uh, Why? Tell everybody why. Listen, because when my country plays in anything, it, uh, it still drives me unlike anything else. I, you know, and, um, I love the Maple Leaf. I, I always had great fascination with the Olympics, um, since, 
since Montreal, really, which is the first Olympics that I really remember in earnest and, you know, fell in love with Phil Tallestrip and Martin Riley of the men's basketball team. And Greg Joy. I love teams. Uh, Greg Joy and the, and the high jump and Nadia Kamenich. And, but but I will, self-admittedly, I love team sports. I love our country. And... This get like when our basketball team lost in Victoria a couple weeks ago. Yeah, my poor dog. That should not happen. It just like you know, like she's still she's still dealing with the ramifications of being around me on a day like that. Yelling but, and so screaming. I was, uh, what did I watch? Our uh, softball team played at one thirty Eastern time. Then the women's basketball team and and you know. They resonate in the city that you guys are both in, as, as Lisa Tomitis and that group has done a wonderful job. Uh, then I watched our volleyball team win a set against Japan and get beat. And then I went, you know, so I'm somewhat awake for two of my favorite guys to do a show with. I better not off for an hour. But I just, last night I couldn't give it up. All the good events fell at the same time. For me, for me, the things that I prioritize love the basketball softball i have a long history going back to being a kid um was lucky enough to call the women's olympic qualifying tournament a couple years ago in surrey so that's really mattered yeah that's what i do if canada plays it doesn't really matter what team sport what time of day what time of year chances are i'm gonna watch Peter, uh, you know, gold medals don't always provide the greatest moments. Uh, I mean, you win, you win. That's the mm -hmm. biggest deal. But for me, the highlight was in the pool when there was that hesitation <laughs> where it's like she didn't understand that she'd won. And then finally, she either saw or heard that she was the gold medal winner. Um, that was a terrific little frame there of, of her reaction. It was, you know, it's one of those things I think we're all going to remember. And it's it's one of those moments because of that, you know, listen, I'm the easiest sell in the world despite the fact that, you know, I'm not going to be campaigning for how well the IOC goes about its business anytime <laughs> soon. So in its own respect, I might be the most, because I love it so much, because I love the competition and I love international events. And I think even without fans, you see how much it means to these people. And that reaction will live in infamy, and it will probably now draw a lot more people in who, frankly, I, I think these Olympics, my sense is it's the most apathetic people have felt about an Olympic Games. And there's lots of reasons for that, both, you know, if you're on the side that they shouldn't have even happened based on the health situation in that country. And I get all of that, but Hey, life is about memories. Um, you love to see it. Obviously I love to see it when, you know, our country does well, but you know, you're right in the pool so far, you know, and the other young lady I want to bring up is, if Penny Alexiak isn't what I would call a clutch performer, yeah. I don't know how you would define clutch. Like She really, since the incredible run five years ago, 
kind of slipped. People were wondering how she might do. She's doing okay. And in the real A, it's like everybody into the pool, as they used to say on the old Flintstones, and she's like, I'm not going to be denied. Our team, we're not catching the Aussies, forget it. You know, the, the whole world was in the no-chance motel against them. But, you know, when she came out and said, I'm going to do everything I can to win a silver medal for this team, she goes out and does it. So that's been pretty spectacular to watch. You know, what's important here is we've talked about a magical gold medal moment and have not mentioned that it was Maggie McNeil's name. That we'll always remember the visual. We'll, the key for us is to try to remember the athlete's name over the next four years. Right. I mean, that's the real, yeah. that's the toughest part for our Olympic Olympic athlete athletes is that they kind of go away. You just mentioned Penny. Penny's a classic example where the last time I really would have mentioned Penny's name would have been four years ago. It's the sad part of all this, but you also bring up another really good point. And Robin and I were chatting about it earlier this morning about the fact that we in apathy, apathy, absolutely. I had kind of convinced myself as we were going through probably the best summer I can ever remember weather-wise where I don't want to come off the deck. And I right. love I love European, I love the Euro event very much. So I had to force myself inside during the day to watch some great soccer. I said I wasn't going to do it during the Olympics. I wasn't going to watch anything during the Olympics. And then, of course, I watched the pool activity on Sunday night. I get caught up. Now, all of a sudden, I'm thinking about, oh, I better start watching the basketball I can hardly wait now for the athletics because i that's my highlight. I, I always look forward to the 100-meter 100 100 men's event, the 4 by 100 and there's always a surprise or two there. It just kind of draws you in. And I guess the one thing I've always loved about sports is the expression, you just never know. That's why I watch because I don't know what's going to happen. I got a pretty good idea, but you just never know. That's all part of the fun of sports for me. I don't know about you. It's the greatest live theater that there is. It just, it just absolutely, the unknown, the non-scripted, isn't that why we keep coming back? <laughs> oh, yeah. And yet, we, and yet we live in a day and age going back to the top of the show. Yes. Where we want to know everything now before it ever happens and want to be first to do it. So... It's that's another show for another time, but it's but it's it's fascinating that way. It really is. Let let me supply the uh, obligatory old man moment for all of us. For me, sports is the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> Jimmy Mc Jimmy McKay met him once. Yeah, nice man, legendary. Oh, and I did. Who doesn't still see that ad, Wide World of Sports, ABC, the ski jumper? Yes. yes. Right? Yeah. I was saying, yeah, I can't remember what happened yesterday, but that one, I certainly can remember that. Just trying to explain what and who the Harlem Globetrotters were and still are to a 14 year old. And to me, I, I, I'll give you a classic example. And this goes back to when I was at 1260 in Edmonton. And it just accidentally worked out this way that they were bringing some globetrotters into the studio. And uh, the, the one guy they brought in was Curly Neal. 
of my entire time in the eight years at that radio station, it was the one time where I was actually kind of speechless and in awe because here yeah. was a guy that I watched in ABC Wide World of Sports back in the day and yeah. has done so much for basketball and done so much for the community. And, oh, man, it was just, that was, those are special times, Pete. Come on, Metal Lark Lemon. Uh, the only yeah. guy I'd never met of that group, but man, Curly was, and what a great guy he was. If only he could dribble. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, is, is this the wrong time to tell you, though? I went to the Saskatoon Arena to watch the Harlem Globetrotters in all their glory. Um, honestly, after the first half, I'm like, I need to go. Yeah, I need the I needed the competition. Yeah, I didn't need the tricks. I see there there it was right there. I knew who was going to win, so sure. it took. You know, I was it was great for a half, and then I looked at my mom and I said, "Mom, if we if we need to go, we can go." But the message didn't have to resonate with you. It had to resonate with others. But man, oh man, you want to talk about uh, a strong message they sent beyond awesome. the result? They honestly. Like, they were just incredible ambassadors. And really, the guys who didn't get enough credit was the team that they beat every single night and kept coming back yeah. to take it on the chin. They were like Bill Jordan of Stampede Wrestling. <laughs> you know, you go out there for about 30 seconds. Take your beating. Gone, take your beating, and away we go. In the meantime, and in between time, that's it. That's it. Another edition of now. Stampede Wrestling. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, it's part of the fun <laughs> of having these conversations with guys like you, is that we just kind of veer. Hey, uh, yeah, well, Robin, Robin, were you going to point out something before, we, before Pete and I went off on this uh, tangent? Well, no, it was, no, it was, <laughs> you know, he talked about it being good for a half. I, I, I was different. I was a bit of a, uh, a rules nerd back then, and I would spoil the Harlem Globetrotters party. I was the guy sitting there going, that's a travel. That's a carry. <laughs> that would have been probably me, too, I got to admit. <laughs> wow. Hey, uh, before we disappear, I just noticed that there was a signing. Sam Bennett signed a four-year deal in Florida, $17.6 million dollars. You had a chance to see Sam up nice and close and personal in Calgary. What do you figure? I'm happy for him. Um, you know, sports, life, people sometimes need a change of scenery. And, you know, for Sam, things in Calgary outside of his rookie year just never got over the hump, except in the playoffs. He, he always was a good playoff performer, but, you know, I enjoyed dealing with Sam. I think Sam's biggest enemy in Calgary was Sam because of the expectation, um, how polarizing he was, the fact that, you know, it was like he could never do enough, and I think at times had a tough time getting out of his own way. But plays his tail off, um, obviously – you know, he's happier than a clam in, in Florida. He loves the ocean. Um, he's on a heck of a hockey team. And it just goes to show you guys, is there anything in any walk of life more important than feeling wanted, but more important, when you feel confident? 
Yeah. You can accomplish some pretty amazing things when you're a confident person. And on the other side, people I don't think realize how quickly even professional athletes and how much they battle confidence when things aren't going well. Adam Larson. Adam Larson. There's an example. It's not that he didn't like it here. It's just the pressure here in Edmonton was intense because of the trade that got him here. It's hard. I know. Never been more difficult. Never been more difficult because of all the outside. There's snowballs coming from everywhere, and I know we got to run. I know. And also, you know, there's personal issues involved in a lot of decisions that are made, too. And I get that and shouldn't really be talking about that. Hey, go Canada, go. Thanks for your time today. Go get some sleep, will you? Because the competition starts in an hour. You got an hour to get in. Thanks for having me. Bye. The Outsiders is brought to you by the Macintosh Group at Remax River City. Robin, this is a this is a quieter time. Actually, Brent will like a little bit of a quiet breakdown because it gives him a chance to watch the Olympics, and I know he loves his sports. But but this is kind of a a slowdown period for real estate in the Metro Edmonton market, and uh, there's that. But it's also a great time if you're looking at uh, selling or buying a new home because they've got more time to spend with you. And the team at the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City, they can help you with that sale or that purchase of your next superstar. You can find them at 780-464-0075 or macintoshgroup.ca. They'll start the process with a complimentary evaluation of your current home. No obligation and no deadline for this offer, but don't let the market pass you by. Things are still moving along nicely. The inventory just isn't very high right now. But as I said, that gives you an opportunity to really sit down with Brent or any member of his team, and they can get things rolling. So once again, the phone number, 780-464-0075, or you can find them at macintoshgroup.ca. Any comments on that? Well, I kind of wish Brent would swing by uh, Cameron Heights. We've got a house beside us. Yeah. Great neighbors. Sorry to see them go. They let us know a month ago that they were going to move out. Well, the sign goes up. Oh, geez. So you have the conversation. The sign comes down. Oh, you sold the house. Good for you. Well, no, we just, it's not sold. Another sign goes up, different realtor, different company. Oh, okay. They're trying again. Sign comes down. Oh, you sold. Good. Well, no, actually we haven't sold yet. So I tell you what, it's, I don't know what the market is out there, but I know some people next door who could use some help. <laughs> well, mention the Macintosh group to them. And once again, 780-464-0075 and macintoshgroup.ca. Mention that to your neighbors.
Wow, what a show we're having today. Now joining us is the host of the Sportsnet broadcast with the Toronto Blue Jays. It's Jamie Campbell. How you doing? Good to see you, fellas. It's good to see you. Hey, we just got to carry on with the conversation we just had with Peter Labardius. Did you ever see the Harlem Globetrotters? Never did, no. And they, uh, when I was very young, passed through Maple Leaf Gardens frequently. But that doesn't mean I didn't watch them every time they were on ABC's Wide World of Sports. Did you know that that was the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat? <laughs> what do you remember hey, about you that? Name, can you, well, the ski jumper. Yes. Right? And, he, and, he lived, and he lived to tell the tale, too. And I believe he's still alive. Has it? Has there ever been a tougher gig in sports than being the Washington Generals? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, but they weren't paid as handsomely as Curly Neal and Meadowlark Lemon. Do you know who Canada's most famous globetrotter would be? No. Have you had a chance to meet this guy, or you just know? Uh, he's one of only two Canadians in the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Really? Did you know that Fergie Jenkins played for the Harlem Globetrotters? No. I, I never knew that. Now you know. Wow. Holy smokes. Let me make a note of that for the show notes. Oh, uh, no, I'm not going to throw that in the show notes. It's, it's, let's leave it as a big surprise. I love that. Hey, uh, and before we start right. talking Blue Jays with you, and I'm excited about the week ahead for them, but let's also talk about the Olympics because your history with the Olympics, I know you watched it a lot as you're growing up and as mm -hmm. you're uh, you know growing as a broadcaster, but man, oh man, I, every time I think of the Olympics and I think of you, I think of the Winter Games in Vancouver. You, how many times did I text you and I said you were in the right place at the right time? You, it was golden for you to to use a bad pun. And it was, as I like to call it, the winter summer games because you know my assignment was on Cypress Mountain in Vancouver, and you'd go up there, and there'd be all of this trucked in, artificially made snow that made it look like a winter wonderland. And then you take the shuttle bus down after the event and wake up in plus 25 degree weather in downtown Vancouver. But look at the guys that you had. You, you had some remarkable calls and you also had that first gold medal call, which was pretty spectacular mm -hmm. too, right? Yes. Alex Bilodeau won the, uh, the moguls for the men. Um, Jennifer Heil of Spruce Grove came oh so close the night before in, uh, in Mogul's terms, she lost by that much to an American named Hannah Carney. And then um, I got to do Myel Ricker's dominance in, um, uh, in her events. And uh, Ashley McIver won a gold. And I think I got to call four. I have four written called. down here. Yeah. I believe it was four. Yeah. So right place at the right time. It had nothing to do with me. <laughs> okay. no, it, you know, and I'm, and, and, and I say that because, I'm a baseball broadcaster who anytime I even mention a no hitter to anybody either on the air or on social media, while there's one in, in progress, people blame me when it ultimately ends. Yes. And I, and I try to, I try to remind people, I'm sorry, the broadcasters have nothing to do with the outcome of the event. <laughs> hey, hey, Jamie, and not to take anything away from what's going on in, in, in the competitive field here. I mean, Gold medal, Maggie McNeil. We've seen some highlights. There's been some great moments, but as somebody who uh, has worked the Olympics, this is a tough one. Given, I mean, it's boring to talk about, but the pandemic, the the venues being empty. Uh, what's your take 
uh, looking on at arm's length on, on this one, given the conditions as, that they're competing in? I, I would say this, and based on what I've seen so far, and of course I'm doing you know, regular daily baseball games at the same time as trying to keep an eye on the odd Olympic event. And with the time change, it's made even more difficult. Yeah. Um, but what the, what the Olympics will always bring you unfailingly, whether there are people in the stands or not. And let's not forget, even in non-pandemic times, there are some events that are um, so off the grid that they're not attended anyway even if there was an opportunity. I mean, with, with no disrespect intended, and I'm only throwing this event out as an example, but does fencing fill the building under normal circumstances? I can't answer that because I've, I've never attended uh, one of the fencing events. But what the Olympics does, and this is what I love about it, is regardless of whether there's a Canadian involved or not, there is always going to be a fascinating human story. I understand some 13-year-old just won gold in skateboarding. Um, I had my my 15-year-old son riveted last night watching a 14-year-old girl from Toronto named um, Summer McIntosh compete in a final. And my 15-year-old was riveted because he realized that this girl is younger than he is. Yeah. And she's she's in an elite competition right now. And my favorite moment without fail to this point was the women's road race in cycling was absolutely dominated by an Austrian woman. And she won by such a large length that the silver medalist from the Netherlands is coming toward the finish line, not knowing <laughs> that there was somebody ahead of her. And she, and she crosses the finish line with pure joy, thinking she's the Olympic champion. And I just, I wish I was there for the conversation when the coach came up and said, hey, great race. You know, silver's a great result. And she'd look at him and say, or her, silver? What do you mean silver? I just won gold. Oh, no, no, no. The Austrian over there was here three minutes before you were. And then and then you have Maggie McNeil, who, who and the footage is spectacular. She had no clue she even won the gold. And I, I'm assuming she wears glasses because she didn't have contacts. Yeah. <laughs> and she looks up at the scoreboard and finally clues in that she's the gold medalist. And that's all part of the fun, isn't it? You could see it if you watched it live, and I did. You could see she had no clue. She couldn't see the board until she squinted, right? Yeah. And, and like you, I grew up with awful eyesight, and I had contacts for years, and yeah. I got laser surgery, and, and you know that there are times when you just can't have the contact lenses in and the rest of the world is a blur. And I love that for that millisecond, she had no clue that she was the Olympic champion. She also mentioned that she thought that she had done something good because she heard her name when she came popped <laughs> right, up yes. out of the water. And I thought that was pretty fantastic. Yeah. Hey, okay, let's, uh, let's, I guess this is a bad pun as well. Let's change our vision to talking about the Toronto Blue Jays. Where's Gene Principe? Is Gino around? Jeez. You don't need Gino. You're good at that. You've been doing. You've made a career of that. I, I have. You're you're absolutely correct. You're Edmonton's Ron McLean. Well, I think Gene has taken that from me, and that's fine. And John Sexsmith oh, yeah. also very afflicted with this disease. Uh, let's talk about the Blue Jays. Very exciting week ahead because they're back home. It's not like they're playing in Buffalo or they're not playing in Florida. They're back in Toronto. Give us the. Give us the sense of, of what kind of week ahead you've got coming up. I know they got Boston well, first in, in Boston, but 
Let's talk yeah. about being back in Toronto. So the timing is fascinating because as we speak, they are four games removed from a wild card position. And I read and listen to many, many people who are saying, throw in the towel right now. Um, I try to remind them that, uh, that on the 24th of July last year, the season began. There was a lot of baseball to play from that moment on, which means there's a lot of baseball to play from this moment on too. And, and people think that the trade deadline, which is Friday, dictates whether you throw the towel in or you go for it. So what people are suggesting now is, you know, trade Marcus Simeon and get something for him become, before he becomes a free agent or get rid of Robbie Ray because his contract expires at the end of the year. And I say, well, why would you do that if you're only four games out of a wild card spot. In fact, here's what I would suggest. Go and make a deal that makes your club better and do it two days before they arrive back in the Rogers Center. This is why the timing of this return to Canada is so interesting. I would love to see this team acquire, for example, Craig Kimbrell from the Cubs and do so on, say, the 28th of July, so that he can walk into the Rogers Center for that very first game back in Canada after 650 days or something like that. And as much as there'll be a limited size crowd there, it will be the maximum amount of tickets uh, that they were allowed to sell. So it will be full in that regard and make a splash, right? Impress the customers because I don't think anybody who follows the Blue Jays realistically thinks their season is quote-unquote over. It's not over. Baltimore's season is over. We know that. The Blue Jays are far from over. So instead of unloading these players that uh, are bound to become free agents at some point, and who, by the way, uh, most of them you could get draft pick compensation for if they sign elsewhere, load up. You've got 6 million good prospects in your system. Go and find a guy that's going to push this team into a wild card position or at least help do so. I mean, from the outside, they're, they're way closer to being in it than out of it. And the thing for me is they're a fun ball club to watch. I mean, they hit the long ball, mm -hmm. they score a lot of runs and uh, to borrow a, an old man moment uh, when you've got Vlad Guerrero and, and Bo Bichette, uh, and you remember their fathers as much as anything. Um, and you do. <laughs> yes, uh, sadly, sadly, I do. Dante Bichette, Dante Bichette was a ball player. Holy smokes, could he hit the ball? But anyway, this team can. This team can make a run, can it not? They can. They absolutely can. They have. Um... Really good starting pitching. I'm not going to say great. Great is an overused word in sports mm. lexicon. Um, you don't need five Cy Young caliber starters anymore. This is not 1970. You just need guys that go five or six innings effectively and then a decent bullpen. Well, a month ago, the bullpen was horrific. Yeah. Now they've added a guy like Adam Simber, they acquired Trevor Richards from Milwaukee. Um, you know, the, the bullpen um, is much more impressive now than it was four weeks ago. 
there are still some questionable arms in that pen, but they've got a kid by the name of Nate Pearson in their system who is very, very close to returning from an injury. And when he returns, will not be returning as a starting pitcher. They're going to throw him into the bullpen for the rest of the year. So that's a hundred mile an hour arm coming out of the pen, um, which will give him an opportunity to prove himself again and gain a little confidence at the big league level versus going out and, uh, you know, and getting crushed over four innings as a starting pitcher. So you add one or maybe two more really good arms to that bullpen, and suddenly you've got a really good pitching staff. And as you've mentioned, you've already got a lineup that crushes. So, yeah, this is a contending, this is a playoff caliber team. I don't quite get this idea that by the end of the week you got to decide whether or not you're going to fold up the tent. I don't think they're, they're in a position to fold up a tent. Do you find it frustrating because it just this came up in our last conversation with Peter about the fact that fans are in this instant. It's got to be right now. It they just there's there's very little patience, and we see it on social media all the time. Do you find that frustrating? I don't, and the only reason that we um, are privy to it is because of the social media era that we live in. You know when oh, yeah. when. When all three of us were a whole lot younger, um, any fan that was displeased with his team, the only way you'd know about it is if you sat next to them at the game and their lungs were full or they sent some letter to the editor that took a week to arrive anyway. Um, <laughs> now, now you can voice your opinion um, instantly. And I, um, somebody termed Jay's Twitter online the other day as a thing, meaning anybody that's immersed in the Blue Jays and is on Twitter as part of Jay's Twitter. And I be, I am ultra careful about who I deal with on Jay's Twitter, what I read, what I absorb, and more importantly, what I believe because, uh, because people just feel they get frustrated and they fire off an opinion that is often not well thought out. And that's the beauty of Twitter. That's what it allows us to do. And toxic. It's toxic. <laughs> it's awful. I'd feel bad for people that buy into it as truth and reality because, you know, it's, it's far more entertaining than it is yeah. informative most of the time. Uh I almost long for the days gone by, though. I love the immediacy of social media. It can be fun. It's what you make of it. But when you talked about letters to the editor, at the journal, old old uh, sports editor Peter Collum walked over to me. It might have been 1990, I want to say. And a letter to him started. He, he says, do you think we should run this? And he drops this letter on my desk. It's a, it starts off with, Brownlee is a shithead. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you ran that. No, we we didn't run it, but somebody could run it now because oh, yeah. they, they could just say it. I mean, I don't know if it's any more toxic. What it is is it's more immediate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But how deep is it, guys? Jamie, because you know stuff that the average fan won't know, and some of it you can say, some of it you can't. It's we're in a tough position when you're more mainstream media yet. If people want to kind of come down on us to fine, whatever we're, we're tough, we can take it, but it can be very frustrating at times. I think. 
It can be, and and also you have to be careful of how you respond yes. to people because you don't, you can't see those people. They're not in front of you, so you don't know what they're dealing with day to day. You have no idea what ailments, what inflictions, what um, mm-hmm. what physical or mental issues any of these people are dealing with at the time that they go off on social media. So, I am not in favor of responding and responding harshly to anybody because I'm not at their doorstep. I have no idea what lives they're living. I have no idea if they have an immediate family member who's uh, dealing with some kind of a terminal disease and could be an alcoholic or addicted to a drug or dealing with mental issues. We don't know that. So the last thing I'm gonna do, regardless of what is said, is get back on Twitter and blast right back because I just don't know who that person is on the other line. And if you think about it, I could be doing more damage than is necessary. Sometimes you just have to let people have their say uh, and just not respond to it. Jamie, back to the Jays for a second. Um, Vladdy Jr., Mm -hmm. are we just starting to see – this young man blossom. I mean, he's got third, 32 jacks and he's hitting like 60 points above his best previous season. Uh, he's not just a long ball guy right now. Is this, what have you seen? Well, here's, here's what I love about where he is right now. And one of you mentioned this a few minutes ago about how we live in this time where there is no patience where everything needs to be immediate. And that includes um, the performance of young players who are tabbed as phenoms, right? So the moment Connor McDavid put a pair of skates on and threw the Edmonton Oilers jersey over his shoulders, he had to be the best player in the NHL because that's what was expected. That's what was advertised. That's what the customer demands. And when... Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was signed as a 15-year-old by then-general manager Alex Anthopoulos. The word was, especially as he progressed through the system, that this kid is a special talent. Um, There's a grading system among scouts that goes from, I believe, two, which is the lowest, to eight, which is the maximum allowable mark. And he was graded an eight hitter by most scouts and some of the reputable publications like Baseball America, which is hardly ever done. And you're seeing now why, right? Um, There was a time about a year and change ago when there were people on social media suggesting that they just unload Vladimir Guerrero Jr. for a bucket of baseballs because he wasn't the guy that they were told he was going to be. And what I always like to say was yet, he's not that guy yet, but by all accounts, he will be at some point. And here's what you're getting right now today. You're getting quite possibly with all due respect to Ronald Acuna Jr. And Fernando Tatis, the most dangerous hitter in the game. And the way you can tell he's the most dangerous hitter in the game is how he handles every pitch per at bat. Um, he is unafraid. He stands up there and has a definite plan. 
he spits on stuff sometimes right down the middle because that's not the pitch he was looking for. His awareness of the strike zone is uh, at an elite level. Uh, and Joe Siddle was saying just the other day, this is a guy who is so gifted right now and so locked in as a hitter that he almost doesn't need protection. He takes care of himself at the plate. If you're going to walk him, you're going to walk him. There's still a bunch of guys in that order that can drive him in. Um, but every night I watch him, I see pitchers, good ones, some elite level pitchers being ultra careful and yeah. trying yeah. desperately to give him nothing to hit. And then the best part about him is that he'll get, he'll, he'll not only hit your mistakes, he'll hit your great pitches too. I remember when he first came up, he hit a pitch thrown by lefty Zach Britton of the New York Yankees, this bowling ball sinker um, that no one had ever touched, no batter in the history of Zach Britton's major league career had ever touched before. And yet Vladdy hit it out of the Rogers Center. That's how impressive this kid is. Um, I Hey, look, I work in a studio far away from where these games are being played right now, and there are times when I have to excuse myself really quickly to go get dinner once the game has started, or, you know, if it's been a long pregame show, maybe go and, and you know, and have a, 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 a quick uh, bathroom break or whatever. But I never walk out of the studio when I know Vladdy's close to coming to the plate because I have to see every single one of his at-bats. We're at the midway point of an actual season. Is there a highlight? And I know we'll talk as we're getting ready to go into the postseason. To this point, is there a highlight for you, a moment where you went, wow, I, I, I remember that vividly? In this season? Or is it all a blur this season because of the way it's, it's, way it's rolling out? It's been a blur for a number of reasons. There, there's, there's, the funny thing is, this is a team that has been hovering around 500. I think I felt more disappointment with this team than I have felt satisfaction and elation. Uh, the other night, they exploded on the Mets and scored 10 times, which is exactly who they are and can be. Yeah. There were times in May and early June when we'd sit there and they'd have a 5 nothing lead going into the sixth inning. And by the end of nine innings, it was 7-5 to five for whoever they were playing against because they had a bunch of 4A arms coming out of the bullpen who could, who could either not find the strike zone or when they were throwing strikes, they were over the heart of the plate. And I honestly think for a team that is at this point above 500 and relatively close to a wild card spot, I have been, my memories of this team so far have been more disappointment uh, than they have been uh, elation. Yet they've been fun. They've been fun to watch. Even in the yes. way they've lost, it's been fun, if that makes any yes. sense. But there's an imperfection about these Blue Jays that has not allowed them a seven or eight or nine game run which I personally feel every team that eventually ends up in the postseason, especially this year when we were gone back to the normal number of teams getting in, right? Last year it was like this playoff fest. I mean, you know, every team except the worst possible managed to get into October play. Um, but, but I feel any team that finds themselves playing in October at some point during the year has had a, a nice little eight-game winning streak. Yeah. And my, my issue with the Blue Jays right now is that I don't see the ingredients that allow for that just yet. 
there is whether it's bullpen starting pitching it's it has nothing to do with their offense their offense is solid I just don't see that that's possible just yet. And, and I think they're going to need a run sometime soon to vault themselves back into a position where they're nestled into, say, the second wild card spot. I was noticing fan graphs has Toronto right now at a 31.3% chance of making the postseason. I love those mm-hmm. states. I don't know how accurate they are, but it gives you, it makes you realize that, okay, well, listen, 31.3%. I'm with you right off the top here. I, I think it, all it says is that if you can maybe bring the right guy in here before the deadline hits at 2 o'clock our time on Friday, you might be able to go on a little bit of a run, Jamie. I I hate those things. Remember, <laughs> was it the 0-2 Oakland A's that won like 21 or 22 games in a row or some point? And I'm thinking, I wonder, what the, I wonder what, not that fan graphs existed back then, I wonder what their playoff probability was before that 22-game win streak. Or whatever it was, it might have been twenty or twenty-one games. But, but see, we we can sit on those numbers right now, and then the Blue Jays could just go on an absolute tear and win twelve in a row, and suddenly those numbers go back up. Yeah, I I I I put zero zero um, credibility into into those uh, those kind of predictions because you just don't know what's going to happen. Which is the fun part of sports, mm-hmm. right? It's unpredictable. Yeah. Uh, anybody can win at any time. Robin, are we good? Yeah, up to speed on everything? I'm good. I just wanted to hear what was happening with Vladdy, and Jamie outlined it very Beautiful. well. Yeah. So you don't So you don't have to write a letter to the editor, Robin, is what you're saying. <laughs> no, no complaints, then. Don't have to use the word <laughs> no shithead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, uh, thanks for your time. Is there anything going on? Like, are you coming out here in the winter or anything? Are you planning a yes. trip? Okay. Yes. Yes. I'm I'm coming to see my beloved hockey team at some point. Are you bringing company with you? I know that uh, that you have uh, uh, you have Oiler fans in your household, or at least one. My 15 year old, born and raised Torontonian Torontonian son loves Connor McDavid. Loves the Edmonton Oilers, not as much as his father does, but close. Um, and one of my high school chums, who you've had on this program. Is a uh, is a big wig with the brand new Seattle Kraken. So what we're trying to find is a perfect time to fly to Edmonton. Uh, and as I said to my son, just cheer for nobody. Just you know, may the best team win. Um, I know, you know, I know. Secretly, I'll be cheering for the home team. But uh, yeah, my son kind of infatuated with the Seattle jerseys and that kind of thing. So I, I said, you just. You just enjoy the game, and whoever wins, wins. But kind of fun to watch the way the Kraken things rolled out. Uh, once again, people are a little extra critical on social media about their big event and how the NHL handled everything. But you know what? The, the whole reveal really? party was for Seattle fans. Not you know, We were all casual yeah. observers. Yeah, it wasn't designed for people who live in Nashville. No, exactly. Hey, uh, thanks for your time. We'll be watching carefully. And it's great to see uh, you're going to be back in the studio in the barn, right? This week? Yes. Yes. I uh, I don't know if I'm going to know how to behave. I'm accustomed to shaking hands with the fans walking by and selfies. Yeah. And all of that kind of thing. I don't know if I'm going to know how to be with people. Hazmat suit. That's what yes. I'm suggesting. Yes. Bubble wrapped Jamie. 
Thanks for your time today. We'll be watching carefully. We'll talk to you as the season's wrapping up, okay? Great to see you both. Thanks, Jamie. So there you go, Jamie Campbell from Sportsnet and the Toronto Blue Jay broadcasts. And uh, fun to have both he and Peter Labardius with us on the podcast today. Hey, before we go, let's uh, let's do some house cleaning here. You could email us at theoutsiders@shaw.ca. You can also check us out on Twitter. The handle's real simple. It's at Outsiders2020. And make sure you tell your friends, and more importantly, ask them to subscribe or follow us with the RSS feed on any of their favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Cast, whatever. Deezer's another good one. And we're also on YouTube. You don't have to see us, but you certainly can hear us. So, uh, Robin, I always consider that to be a positive, don't you? Absolutely, as do our listeners. Exactly. That way you don't have to write letters to the editor if there's something you don't like about the podcast. And uh, the other thing, too, your support is greatly appreciated. Hey, we are in the process now. I'm just starting to talk to some potential advertising partners for the fall. We're trying to come up with some neat ideas and some feature ideas. And so if, uh, if you're interested in being one of our advertising partners come September, we would love to chat with you. And uh, I, I'm excited about this. This is, uh, this is great stuff as we move ahead. We're going to get better and better and better. But the other thing that's huge is that, uh, and it's really been noticeable over the past three months, is that you're starting to retweet what we're sending out. So we're getting our message out there further and further and further. So uh, that's fantastic stuff. Robin, that's it today. Lots of stuff. And uh, we're going into a long weekend. So we're not back until next Tuesday. You got plans for the long weekend or no? Uh, yeah, we got a little, we got a few things going on, but, uh, uh, nothing exciting family stuff. It's all good. No yard work. So you'll be feel like, let's tell everybody that you were under major duress during this entire process today because you were a little on the sore side. Well, I just got to, I just can't be, uh, trying to do the work of a 32 year old guy at, uh, 62 but that's my own fault i always i always overestimate how much i've got left in the tank yeah i think we all do when we're at this uh, i call this a vintage i I, i've stopped using the term older i now use the uh, we're of a certain vintage so hey that's it we'll uh, we'll talk to you next tuesday pumped up about it and uh lots to talk about i'm sure as we come through the long weekend enjoy yourself i will Bryn. talk to you then man Storm in the castle. <laughs>